Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 7. A year later, somewhere in Macedonia. The heavy bearded knight reared his mount over us on the steep bridge. March, you princesses, or the only Turkish blood you'll see will be at the end of a mop. March? We have been marching for months now. Months so long and grueling, so lacking in all provision, I could mark them only by the sores oozing on my feet or the lice crawling in my beard. We had marched across Europe and through the Alps. At first in tight formation, cheered in every town we passed, our tunics cleaned with bright red crosses, helmets gleaming in the sun. Then into the craggy mountains of Serbia, each step slow and treacherous, every ridge ripe with ambush. I watched as many a loyal soul, eager to fight for the glory of God, was swept screaming into vast crevices or dropped in its tracks by Sir Ramagyar arrows a thousand miles before the first sign of a Turk. All along we were told that Peter's army was months ahead of us, slaughtering infidels and hoarding all the spoils, while our nobles fought and bickered amongst themselves, and the rest of us trudged like beaten livestock in the blistering heat and bargained for what little food there was. I'll be back in a year, I had promised Sophie. Now, that was just a mocking refrain in my dreams. And so was our song. A maiden met a wandering man in the light of the moon's pure cheer. Along the way, I had made two lasting friends. One was Nicodemus, an old Greek, schooled in the sciences and languages, who managed to keep up his steady stride, despite a satchel heavy with tracts of Aristotle, Euclid, and Bothius. Professor, we called him. Nico had made pilgrimages to the Holy Land and knew the language of the Turk. He spent many hours on the march teaching it to me. He had joined the quest as a translator, and because of his white beard and moth-eaten robe, he had the reputation of being a bit of a soothsayer, too. But every time a soldier moaned, Where the hell are we, Professor? And the old Greek muttered only, Near. His reputation as a seer suffered. And then there was Robert with his goose, Hortense, who has sneaked into our ranks one day as we passed through Apt. I just want to stop real quick. I, I usually don't let y'all know about my errors. But Apt is spelled A-P-T, and it's the last word, and there's a period after it. So as I was reading this, initially I said, who sneaked into our ranks one day as we passed through apartment. Because, you know, A-P-T is short for... Eh, whatever. Fresh pace and chattering, Robert claimed to be 16, but it didn't take a year to divine that he was lying. I've come to carve the Turks, he boasted, brandishing a makeshift knife. I handed him a stick that would be good for walking. Here, start with this, I laughed. From that moment on, he and the goose were great companions to us. It was late summer when we finally came out of the mountains. Where are we, Hugh? Robert moaned as another interminable valley loomed before our eyes. By my calculations? I tried to sound cheerful. A left at the next ridge and we should see Rome. Isn't that right, Nico? This was the pilgrimage of St. Peter's that we signed up for, wasn't it? Or shit, what's the crusade? A ripple of tired laughter snaked through the exhausted ranks. Nicodemus started to answer, but everyone shouted him down. 
We know, Professor. We're near, right? Taunted Mouse, a diminutive spaniel with a large hooked nose. Suddenly, I heard shouting from up ahead. Nobles on horseback whipped their tired mounts and rushed towards the front. Robert bolted ahead. If there's fighting you, I'll save you a spot. All at once, my legs seemed ready to comply. I grabbed my shield and ran after the boy. Ahead of us was a wide gulf in the mountains. Hundreds of men were gathered there, knights and soldiers. For once, they were not defending themselves. They were shouting, slapping one another on the back, thrusting their swords towards heaven and hurling their helmets into the sky. Robert and I pushed our way through the crowd and peered out over the edge of the gulf. Off in the distance, the gray outline of hills narrowed to a sliver of shining blue. The Bosporus, people shouted. The Bosporus. Son of Mary, I muttered. We're here. A jubilant roar went up. Everyone pointed at a walled city nestled into the isthmus's edge. Constantinople. It took my breath away like nothing I'd ever seen before. It seemed to stretch out forever, glinting through the haze. Many knights sank to their knees in prayer. Others, too exhausted to celebrate, simply bowed their heads and wept. What's going on? Robert looked around. What's going on? I repeated. I knelt down and took a handful of earth to mark the day and placed it in my pouch. Then I hoisted Robert into the air. You see those hills over there? I pointed across the channel. He nodded. Sharpen your knife, boy. Those are Turk. Chapter 8. For two weeks, we rested outside the gates of Constantinople. Such a city I had never seen before in all my life, with its huge glittering domes, hundreds of tall towers, Roman ruins and temples, and streets paved with polished stone. Ten of Paris could have fit within its walls. And the people, crowding the massive walls, roaring with cheers, clad in colorful, lightweight cottons and silks, in hues of crimson and purple I had never seen. Every race was represented. European, African, China, and people in no stench who bathed and smelled of perfume, dressed up in ornate robes. Even the men. I had traveled across Europe in my youth and had played most of the large cathedral towns, but never had I seen a place like this. Gold was like tin here. Stalls and markets were crammed with the most exotic goods. I traded for a gilded perfume box to take home for Sophie. A relic already, Nico laughed. New aromas entranced me, cumin and ginger, and there were fruits I had never tasted before. Oranges and figs. I savored every exotic image, thinking of how I would describe it all to Sophie. We were hailed as heroes, and we have fought almost no one. If this was how it would be, I would return both sweet-smelling and free. Then the knights and nobles rallied us. Crusaders, you are here for God's work, not for silver and soap. We said goodbye to Constantinople, crossing the Bosporus on wooden pontoons. At last, we stood in the land of the dreaded Turk. The first fortresses we encountered were empty and abandoned, towns scorched and plundered dry. The pagan is a coward, the soldiers mocked. He hides in this hole like a squirrel. We spotted red crosses painted everywhere. Pagan towns now consecrated in the name of God. All signs that Peter's army had been through. The nobles pushed us hard. Hurry, you lazy louts, or the little hermit will take all the spoils. And we did hurry. 
though our new enemy became the blistering heat and thirst. We baked like hogs, sucking our water skins dry. The pious among us dreamed of our holy mission. The nobles, no doubt, of relics and glory. The innocent of finally proving their worth. Outside Civito, we had our first taste of the enemy. A few straggly horsemen, turbaned and cloaked in robes, ringed our ranks, lofting some harmless arrows at us, then fled into the hills like children hurling stones. Look, they run like grandmothers, Robert cackled. Send Hortons after them, I squawked about like a chicken. No doubt they're cousins of your goose. Civito seemed deserted, an enclave of stone dwellings on the edge of a dense wood. No one wanted to delay in our rush to catch up with the army of Peter, but we needed water badly, so we decided to enter the town. On the outskirts, a grim odor pressed in my nostrils. Nicodemus glanced at me. You smell it, don't you, Hugh? I nodded. I knew the stench from burying the dead, but this was magnified a thousand times. At first, I thought it was just slaughtered livestock or awful. But as we got closer, I saw the civito was smoking like burning cinders. As we entered the town, there were corpses everywhere. A sea of body parts, heads severed and gawking, limbs cut off and piled like wood, blood drenching the parched earth. It was a slaughter. Men and women hacked up like diseased stock, torsos naked and disemboweled, heads charred and roasted, hung up on spears. Red crosses smeared all over the walls. In blood. What has happened here? A soldier muttered. Some puked and turned away. My stomach felt as empty as a bottomless pit. From out of the trees, a few stragglers appeared. Their clothing was charred and tattered, their skin dark with blood and filth. They all bore the wide-eyed, hollow look of men who had seen the worst atrocities and somehow lived. It was impossible to tell if they were Christian or Turk. Peter's army has crushed the infidels, Robert called out. They've gone ahead to Antioch. But not a man among us cheered. This is Peter's army, Nicodemus said grimly. What remains of it? Chapter 9 The few survivors huddled around fires that night, sucking in precious food, and told the fate of Peter the hermit's army. There were some early successes they recounted. The Turks fled like rabbits, an old knight said. They left their towns, their temples. We'll be in Jerusalem by summer, everyone cheered. We split up our forces. A detachment, 6,000 strong, pushed east to seize the Turkish fortress at Zaragordan. Rumor had it some holy relics were held ransom there. The balance of us stayed behind. After a month, word reached us that the fortress had fallen. Spoils and booty were being divvied up among the men. St. Peter's sandals, we were told. The rest of us set out for there, eager not to miss out on the loot. It was all lies, said another in a part sorry voice from infidel spies. The detachment to Zaragordan had already been done in, not by siege, but thirst. The fortress lacked all water. A cell jute horde of thousands surrounded the city and simply waited them out. And when our troops finally opened the gates in desperation, mad with thirst, they were overrun and slaughtered to a man. Six thousand. Gone. Then the devils moved on to us. At first, there was this howl from the surrounding hills, another survivor recounted, of such chilling proportion that we thought we had entered a valley of demons. 
We stood in our tracks and scanned the hills. Then, suddenly, daylight darkened, the sun blocked by a hail of arrows. I will never forget that deafening whoosh. Every next man clutching at his limbs and throat falling to his knees. Then turbaned horsemen charged. Wave after wave hacking away at limbs and heads. Our ranks shredded. Hardened knights fled terror stricken back to camp. Horsemen at their tails. Women. Children. The feeble and sick. Unprotected. Chopped a bit in their tents. The lucky among us were slain where we stood. The rest were seized. Raped. Cut apart limb by limb. What's left of us, I'm sure, were spared just so we could bear the tale. My throat went dry. Gone? All of them? It could not be. My mind flashed back to the cheerful face and joyous voices of the hermit's army as it marched through Vale de Pere. Matt, the miller's son. Jean, the smith. All of the young who had eagerly signed up. There was nothing left of them? A nauseating anger boiled up in my stomach. Whatever I had come for, freedom, fortune, all that left me as if it had never even been there. For the first time, I wanted not just to fight for my own gain, but to kill these curs. Pay them back! I had to leave. I ran past Robert and Nico, past the fires to the edge of the camp. Why had I ever come to this place? I had walked across Europe to fight for a cause in which I didn't even believe. The love of my life, all that I held true and good, was a million miles away. How could all those faces, all that hope, be gone? Chapter 10 We buried the dead for six days straight. Then our dispirited army headed farther south. In Caesarea, we joined forces with Count Robert of Flanders and Bohemond of Antioch, a heralded fighter. They had recently taken Nicaea. Our spirits were bolstered by the tales of Turks fleeing at full run, their towns now under Christian flags. Our once-fledgling troop was now an army 40,000 strong. Nothing lay on our path toward the Holy Land except the Muslim stronghold of Antioch. There, it was said, believers were being nailed to the city walls, and the most precious relics in all of Christendom. A shroud stained by the tears of Mary and the very lance that had pierced the Savior's side on the cross were being held for ransom. Yet nothing so far could prepare us for the hell we were about to face. First, it was the heat. The most hostile I'd ever felt in my life. The sun became a raging, red-eyed demon that, never sheltered, we grew to hate and curse. Hardened knights, praised for valor in battle, howled in anguish literally roasting in our armor, their skin blistered from the touch of the metal. Men simply dropped as they marched, overcome, and were left uncared for where they fell. And the thirst. Each town we got to was scorched and empty, run dry provisioned by the Turks themselves. What little water we carry, we consume like drunken fools. I saw men clearly over the edge guzzled our own urine as if it were ale. If this the Holy Land, the Spaniard Mouse remarked, God can keep it. Our bodies cried, yet we trudged on, our hearts and wills like the water slowly depleting. Along the way, I picked up a few Turkish arrows and spearheads that I knew would be worth much back home. I did my best to cheer other men up, but there was little to find amusing. Hold your tears, Nico warned, keeping up with a shuffling stride. 
When we hit the mountains, you will think this was paradise. Nico was right. Jagged mountains appeared in our path, chillingly steep and dry of all life. Narrow passes, barely wide enough for a cart and a horse, cut through the rising peaks. At first, we were glad to leave the inferno behind, but as we climbed, a new hell awaited. The higher we got, the slower and more treacherous every step became. Sheep, horses, carts overladen with supplies had to be dragged single file up the steep way. A mere stumble, a sudden rock slide, and a man disappeared over the edge, sometimes dragging a companion along with him. Press on, the nobles urged, and Antioch, God will reward you. But every summit we surmounted brought the sight of a new peak, trails more nerve-wracking than the last. Once proud knights trudged humbly, their chargers useless, dragging their armor alongside foot soldiers like Robert and me. Somewhere in the heights, Hortons disappeared, a few of her feathers left in the cart. It was never known what became of her. Many felt the nobles had themselves a meal at Robert's expense. Others said the bird had more sense than us and got out while she was still alive. The boy was heartbroken. That bird had walked across Europe with him. Many felt that our luck had run out along with hers. Yet still we climbed, one step at a time, sweltering in our tunics and armor, knowing that on the other side lay Antioch, and beyond that, the Holy Land, Jerusalem. Chapter 11 Tell us a story, Hugh, Nicodemus called out as we made our way along a particularly treacherous incline. The more blasphemous, the better. The trail seemed cut out of the mountain's edge, teetering over an immense chasm. One false step would mean a grisly death. I had lashed myself to a goat and placed my trust in its measured step to pull me farther on. There is one about the convent and the whorehouse, I said, delving back to my days as an innkeeper. A traveler is walking down a quiet road when he notices the sign scratched onto a tree. Sisters of St. Bridget's Convent, House of Prostitution, Two Miles. Yes, I saw it myself, a soldier exclaimed, a ways back on that last ridge. The peril of the climb was broken by a few welcome laughs. The traveler assumed it's a joke, I resumed, and continues along. Soon, he comes to another sign. Sisters of St. Bridget, House of Prostitution, One Mile. Now his curiosity is piqued. A ways ahead, there is a third sign. This time, convent, brothel, next right. Why not, the traveler thinks, and turns down the road until he arrives at an old stone church marked St. Bridget. He steps up and rings the bell, and the abbess answers. What may we do for you, my son? I saw your signs along the road, the traveler said. Very well, my son, the abbess replies. Please, follow me. She leads him through a series of dark, winding passages where he sees many beautiful young nuns who smile at him. Where are these nuns when I'm in need? A soldier behind me moaned. At last, the abbot stops at the door, I went on. The traveler goes in and is greeted by another comely nun, who instructs him, place a gold coin in the cup. He empties his pockets excitedly. Good enough, she says. Now, just go through that door. Aroused, the traveler hurries through the door, but he finds himself back outside, at the entrance, facing another sign. Go in peace, it reads. 
and consider yourself properly screwed. Laughter broke out from all around. I don't get it, Robert said behind me. I thought that was a brothel. Never mind. I rolled my eyes. Nico's trick had worked. For a few moments, our burden had seemed bearable. All I wanted was to get off this ridge. Suddenly, I heard a rumble from above. A slide of rock and gravel hurtled down at us. I reached for Robert and pulled the boy towards the mountain's face, gripping the sheer stone as huge rocks crashed around us, missing me by the width of a blade, bouncing over the edge into oblivion. We gazed at each other with a sigh of relief, realizing how close we had come to death. Then I heard a mule bray from behind, and Nicodemus trying to settle it. Whoa! The falling rocks must have spooked it. Steady that animal, an officer barked from behind. It carries your food for the next two weeks. Nicodemus grabbed for the rope. The animal's hind legs spun, trying to catch hold on the trail. I lunged for the harness around its neck, but the mule bucked again and stumbled. Its feet were unable to hold the trail. Its frightened eyes showed that the animal was aware of the danger, but the stone gave way. With a hideous bray, the poor mule toppled over the edge and fell into the void. As it did, it caused a terrible reaction, pulling along the animal beside it to which it was tied. I saw disaster looming. Nico! I shouted. But the old Greek was too slow and laden with gear to get out of the way. My eyes locked helplessly on him as he stumbled in his long robe. Nico! I screamed. Seeing the old man slipping off the edge, I lunged towards him, grabbing for his arm. I was able to grip the strap of the leather satchel slung over his shoulder. It was all that kept him from plunging to his death. The old man looked up at me and shook his head. You must let go, Hugh. If you don't, we'll both fall. I won't. Reach up your other hand, I begged. A crowd of others, Robert among them, had formed behind me. Give me your hand, Nico. I searched his eyes for panic, but they were clear and sure. I wanted to say, hold on, Professor. Jerusalem is near. But the satchel slid out of my grasp. Nicodemus, his white hair and beard billowing in the draft, fell away from me. No! I lunged, grasping, calling his name. In a flash, he was gone. We had marched together for a thousand miles, but for him, it was never far, always near. I didn't remember my father, but the grief emptying from me showed that Nicodemus was as close to one as I had ever had. A knight pushed up the trail, grumbling about what the hell was going on. I recognized him as Guillaume, a vast Le Bohemond, one of the nobles in charge. He peered over the edge and swallowed. A soothsayer who couldn't even predict his own death, he spat. No great loss. Chapter 12. For days to come, the loss of my friend weighed greatly upon me. We continued to climb, but each step, all I saw in my path was a wise Greek's face. Without noticing it at first, the trails began to widen. I realized we were marching through valleys now, not over peaks. We were heading down. Our pace quickened, and the mood in the ranks brightened with anticipation of what lay ahead. I've heard from the Spaniard there are Christians chained to the city's walls, Robert said as we marched. The sooner we get there, the sooner we can set our brothers free. Your buddy's an eager one, Hugh, Mouse called to me. 
You better tell him. Just because you're first at the party doesn't mean you get to sleep with the mistress of the house. He wants a fight, I defended Robert, and who could blame him? We've marched a long way. From behind came the clatter of a war horse galloping towards us. Make way! We scattered off the trail and turned to see Guillaume, the same arrogant bastard who had mocked Nico after his death, in full armor astride his large charger. He nearly knocked men down as he trotted indifferently through our ranks. That's who we fight for, eh? I bowed sarcastically with an exaggerated flourish. We soon came to a wide clearing between mountains. A good-sized river, perhaps 60 yards wide, lay in the column's path. Up ahead, I heard nobles disagreeing on the proper spot to ford the river. Raymond, our commander, insisted that the scouts and maps suggested a point to the south. Others, eager to show our face to the Turks, the stubborn Bohemond among them, argued why lose a day. Finally, I saw that same night Guillaume shoot from the crowd. I will make you a map, he shouted to Raymond. He jerked his charger down a steep bank to the river and led the mount in. Guillaume's horse waded in, bearing the knight in full chainmail. Men lined the shore, either cheering or laughing at his attempt to show off in front of royalty. Thirty yards out, the water was still no higher than the horse's ankles. Guillaume turned around and waved, a vain smile visible under his mustache. Even my mother's mother could cross here, he called. Are the map makers taking notes? I never knew that a peacock would so take the water, I remarked to Robert. Suddenly, in the middle of the river, Guillaume's mount began to stumble. The knight did his best, but in his full battle gear and on unsteady footing, he couldn't hold the mount. He fell from the horse, face first into the water. The troops along the riverbank burst into laughter, jeers, catcalls, mock waving. Oh, map makers, I laughed above the din. Are you taking notes? The raucous laughter continued for a time as we waited for the knight to emerge but he did not. He stays under out of shame, someone commented. But soon we understood it was not out of embarrassment, but the weight of Guillaume's armor that was preventing him from pulling himself up. As this became clear, the hooting ceased. Another knight galloped into the water and waded out to the spot. A full minute passed before the new rider was able to reach the area. He leaped from his horse and thrashed around for Guillaume underneath the surface. Then... Raising the knight's heavy torso, he shouted back, He is drowned, my lord. A gasp escaped from those on shore. Men bowed their heads and crossed themselves. Just a few days before, Guillaume had stood behind me as Nicodemus was swept off the rocky cliff to his death. I looked at Robert, who shrugged with a thin smile. No great loss, he said. Chapter 13 we came to a high ridge overlooking a vast bone-white plain, and there it was. Antioch. A massive walled fortress, seemingly built into a solid mound of rock, larger and more formidable than any castle I'd ever seen back home. The sight sent a chill shooting through my bones. It was built on a sharp rise. Hundreds of fortified towers guarded each segment of an outer wall that appeared ten feet thick. We had no siege engines to break such walls, no ladders that could even scale their heights. It seemed impregnable. Knights took off their helmets and surveyed the city in awe. I know the same sobering thought pounded through each of our minds. We had to take this place. 
I don't see any Christians chained to the walls, Robert squinted into the sun, sounding almost disappointed. If it's martyrs you're looking for, I promised grimly. Don't worry, you'll have your pick. One by one, we continued along the ridge and down the narrow trail. There was a feeling that the worst was over, that whatever God had in store for us, surely the coming battles would test us no more than what we had already faced. The talk, again, was a treasure in glory. Stumbling on a ledge, I noticed a glimmer coming down from under a rock. I bent down to pick up the shiny object and could not believe it. It was a scabbard for some kind of dagger, very old, I was sure. It looked like bronze with some inlaid writing that I could not understand. What is it? Robert asked. I, I don't know. I wish Nico was here. I knew he'd be able to interpret it. Maybe the language of the Jews. God, it looks old. Hugh's rich, Robert shouted. My friend is rich. Rich, I say. Quiet, a soldier hushed him. If one of our illustrious leaders hears you, you won't have your treasure for long. I placed the scabbard in my pouch, which was starting to fill up. I felt like a man who had just claimed the richest dowry. I couldn't wait to show it to Sophie. Back home, a prize like this could buy us food for a winter. I couldn't believe my good luck. Up here, the relics fall out of trees, Mouse grumbled from behind, if there were any fucking trees. The trail we walked was flat and manageable. The men boasted once again of how many Turks that would slay in the coming fight. After my discovery, thoughts of treasure and spoils seemed alive and real. Maybe I would be rich. Suddenly, up ahead, the column came to a halt. Then, eerie silence. As far as the eye could see, the trail ahead was lined with large white rocks, placed intervals equal to a man's arm span. Each rock was painted with a bright red cross. The bastards are welcoming us, someone said. Mocking us was more like it. The roads of red crosses sent a shiver right through me. Robert ran ahead to hurl one of the rocks towards the walls. But as he got close, the boy stopped in his tracks. Other soldiers who had reached the rocks crossed themselves. They weren't rocks at all, but skulls. Thousands of them. Chapter 14 There were fools among us who believed the Antioch would fall in a day. On that first morning, we lined up many thousand strong, a sea of white tunics and red crosses. Heaven's army, if I truly believed. We focused on the eastern wall, a buttress of gray rock 30 feet tall, spilling over with defenders in white robes and bright blue turbans at every post. And higher up, the towers, hundreds of them, were each man with archers, their long curved bows glinting in the morning sun. My heart pounded under my tunic. At any moment, I knew I would have to charge, but my legs seemed rooted to the ground. I muttered Sophie's name as if in prayer. Young Robert, looking fit, was next to me in line. Are you ready, Hugh? He asked with an eager smile. When we charge, stay by me, I instructed him. I was twice the boy's size. For whatever reason, I had sworn in my heart to protect him. Don't worry, God will watch over me, Robert seemed assured. And you too, Hugh, even if you try and deny it. A trumpet sounded the call to arms. Raymond and Bohemian, in full armor, galloped down the line on their crusted mounts. Be brave, soldiers, 
Do your duty, they urged. Fight with honor. God will be at your side. Then all at once a chilling roar rose up from behind the city walls. The Turks, taunting and mocking us. I fixed on a face above the main gate. Then the trumpet sounded again. We were at a run. I know not exactly what went through my mind as, in formation, we advanced towards the massive walls. I made one last prayer to Sophie, and to God, for Robert's sake, to watch over us. But I know I ran, swept up in the tide of the charge. From behind, I heard the whoosh from a wave of arrows shooting across the sky, but they fell against the massive walls like harmless sticks, clattering to the ground. A hundred yards. A volley of arrows shot back from the towers in return. I held my shield as they ripped into us, thudding and clanging the shields and armor all around. Men fell, clutching at their heads and throats. Blood spurted from their faces, and gruesome gas escaped from their wretched mouths. The rest of us surged ahead, Robert still at my side. In front of us, I saw the first ram approach the main gate. Our division captain ordered us to follow. From above, heavy rocks and fiery arrows rained down on us. Men screamed and toppled over, either pierced or rolling on the ground trying to smother the flames on their bodies. The first ram pounded into the heavy gate, a solid wooden barrier the height of three men. It bounced off with the effect of a pebble tossed against a wall. The team reversed and rammed again. Foot soldiers were hurling their lances up at the defenders, but they fell halfway up the walls and in return brought volleys of spears and Greek fire, molten pitch. Men writhed on the ground, kicking and screaming, their white tunics ablaze. Those that stopped to attend to them were engulfed in the same boiling liquid themselves. It was a slaughter. Men who had traveled so far, endured so much, God's call resounding in their hearts, were cut down like grain in a field. I saw poor Mouse, an arrow piercing his throat so completely that his hands gripped it on both sides, dropped to his knees. Others fell over him. I felt sure I would soon die too. One of the ram carriers went down. Robert took his place. Soon they were battering again at the gate, but without result. Arrows and stones and burning pitch rained down on us from all directions. It was only luck to avoid death at any point. I scanned the walls, searching for archers or pitch, and to my horror spotted two large Turks preparing to tip a vat of bubbling tar upon those manning the ram. As I readied, I bolted into Robert, knocking him off his post and flush against the wall, just as a sulfurous black wave engulfed his ram mates. They all shrieked, buckling to their knees, tearing at their sizzling faces and eyes, an odious smell coming from their flesh. I pressed Robert up against the wall, for a moment out of harm's way. All around us, our ranks were being shredded. Soldiers fell to their knees and moaned. Battering rams were tossed aside and abandoned. Suddenly, the assault turned into a rout. Men, hearing the alarm, turned and fled from the walls, arrows and spears following them, dropping them as they ran. We've got to get out of here, I said to Robert. I dragged him from the wall and we ran with all our might. I prayed as I ran that my back would not be ripped open by a Saracen arrow. As we fled, the mighty fortress gate opened, and from within... Horsemen arrived, dozens of turbaned riders flashing long, curved swords. They swept towards us like hunters chasing a hare, yelping mad cries that I recognized as Allahu Akbar. God is great. In spite of our being totally outnumbered, there was no option but to stand and fight. 
I drew my sword, resolved that any breath might be my last, and hacked away at the first wave of horsemen. A dark-skinned Saracen whirled by, and the head of a man next to me shot off like a kicked ball. Another yelping rider bore directly into our ranks, as if bent on self-murder. We pounced on him and hacked him bloody. One by one, the small group of men Robert and I had attached ourselves to began to thin. Begging to God, they were split open by the Turks as they swooped by. I grabbed Robert by the tunic and dragged him further away. In the open, I saw a horseman hurtling directly towards us at full speed. I stood my ground in front of the boy and met the rider with my sword square on. If this was it, then let it be. Our weapons came together in a mighty clang, the impact shaking my entire body. I looked down, expecting to see my legs separated from my torso, but, thank God, I was whole. Behind me, the Saracen rider had fallen off, horse and rider surrounded by a cloud of dust. I leapt on him before he had a chance to recover, plunging my sword into his neck and watching a flow of blood rush out of the warrior's mouth. Before this day, I had never taken a life. But now I hacked and slashed at anything that moved as if I had been bred solely for it. Every instant, more horsemen stormed out from the gates. They swept down our fleeing troops and hacked them where they stood. Blood and gore soaked to the ground everywhere. A wave of our own cavalry went out to meet them, only to be overcome by the sheer numbers they faced. It seemed as if our whole army was being slaughtered. I pushed Robert through the smoke and dust in the direction of our ranks. We were now out of arrow shot. Men were still moaning and dying on the field, Turks hacking at them. It was impossible to tell a red cross from a pool of blood. For the first time, I noticed that my own tunic and arms were smeared with blood. Whose? I did not know. And my legs stung from the spray of molten pitch. Though I had seen many men fall, in a way, I was proud. I had fought bravely, and Robert too. And I protected him, as was my vow. Though I wanted to weep for my fallen friends, mouse among them, I fell to the ground, happy just to be alive. I was right, Hugh, Robert turned to me, grinning. God did protect us after all. Then he lowered his head and puked his guts out on the field. Chapter 15 It happened just that way every day. Assault upon assault. Death after meaningless death. The siege took months. For a while, it seemed as if our glorious crusade would end in Antioch, not Jerusalem. Our catapults flung giant missiles of fiery rock, yet they barely dented the massive walls. Wave after wave of frontal attacks only increased the death toll. Finally, we constructed enormous siege engines, as tall as the highest towers. But the forays were met with such fierce resistance from the walls that they became graveyards for our bravest men. The longer Antioch survived, the lower our spirits fell. Food was down to nothing. All of the cattle and oxen had been butchered. Even the dogs had been eaten. Water was as scarce as wine. All the time, rumors reached us of Christians inside the city being tortured and raped, and holy relics desecrated. Every couple of days, a Muslim warrior would hurl some urn down from the towers, and it was shattered on the ground, spilling blood. That is the blood of your useless savior, he would taunt. See how it saves you now. Or, lighting a cloth of fire and tossing it to the earth, this is the shroud of the whore who gave him life. 
At intervals, Turk warriors made forays outside the city walls. They charged our ranks as if on a holy mission, yelping and hacking at those who met them, only to be surrounded and chopped to bits. They were unafraid, even heroic. It made us realize even more that they would not easily give in. Those we captured were sometimes handed over to a fearsome group of Frank warriors called Taffers. Barefoot, covered in filth and sores, the Taffers were distinguished by the ragged sackcloth they wore as uniforms and by the ferocious savagery with which they fought. Everyone was afraid of them, even us. In battle, these Taffers fought like possessed devils, wielding leaded clubs and axes, gnashing their teeth as if they wanted to devour the enemy alive. It was said they were disgraced knights who followed a secret lord and were taken vows of poverty until they could buy back their favor in God's eyes. Infidels unlucky enough to not be killed on a field of battle were handed to them like scraps to a dog. I watched with disgust that these swines would disembowel a Muslim warrior in front of his own eyes, stuffing his entrails into his mouth as he died. This happened, and much worse, so help me. These taffers reported to no lord among us, and to most of us, it seemed, no god either. They were marked by a cross burned into their necks, which attested not so much to their religious fervor as to their urge to inflict pain. The longer the horrible siege went on, the farther away I felt from anything I knew. It was now 18 months I had been gone. I dreamed about Sophie every night and often during the day. That last image of her, watching me go off, her brave smile as I hopped down the road. Would she know me now? Bearded? Thin as a pole and blackened with grime and enemy blood? Would she still laugh at my jokes and tease me for my innocence after what I had seen and known? If I brought her a sunflower, would she kiss my bright red hair now that it was filled with gore and lice? My queen. How far away she seemed right now. A maiden met a wandering man, I sang in the quietest voice before I slept each night, in the light of the moon's pure cheer. Chapter 16 The word spread like fire from battalion to battalion. Get ready, full battle gear, we're going in tonight. Tonight? Another charge? Weary and frightened soldiers around me moaned in disbelief. Do they think we can see at night what we cannot even shoot during the day? No. This time it's different, the captain promised. Tonight, you'll go to sleep fucking the emir's wife. The camp sprang alive. There was a traitor inside Antioch. He would give up the city. Antioch would finally fall. Not from its walls crumbling, but from treachery and greed. Is it true? Robert asked, hastily pulling on his boots. Do we finally get to pay them back? Sharpen that knife, I told the eager lad. Raymond ordered the army to break camp, given the appearance that we were headed for a raid elsewhere. We pulled back two miles, as far as the river Orontes. Then we held until close to dawn. The signal was spread. Everyone be ready. Under the shield of darkness, we quietly crept back within sight of the city walls. A sliver of orange light was just breaking over the hills to the east. My blood was surging. Today, Antioch would fall. Then, it was on a Jerusalem. Freedom. As we waited for the word, I put my hand on Robert's shoulder. Nerves? The boy shook his head. I fear not. You may have started the day still a boy, but by its end, you will be a man, I told him. He grinned sheepishly. I guess we'll both be men, I winked. 
Then a torch waved over the North Tower. That was it. Our men were inside. Let's go, the noble shouted. Attack! Our army charged. Frank, Norman, Tafor, side by side, with one purpose, one mind. Show them whose God is one, the leaders cried. Our battalions headed towards the North Tower, where ladders were hoisted against the wall and wave after wave of men climbed over. The sound of shouts and vicious fighting erupted from inside. Then, all at once, the big gate opened, right in front of our eyes. But instead of attacking Muslim horsemen shrieking out, our own conquering army spilled in. We made our way helter-skelter through the city. Buildings were torched. Turbaned men rushed into the streets and were cut down in bloody messes before they could even raise their swords. Cries of death to the pagans and De Leviolt, God wills it, echoes everywhere. I ran in the pack, with no great malice towards the enemy, but ready to fight whoever confronted me. I saw one defender cut in half by a mighty axe blow. Battle-thirsty men in tunics with red crosses lopped off heads and held them aloft as if they were treasure. In front of us, a young woman ran out of a burning house, screaming. She was pounced on by two marauding taffers who tore the clothes from her body and took turns mounting her in the street. When they were done, they ripped a bronze bracelet from her wrist and bludgeoned her lifeless. I stared in horror at her bloody shape. In her clutched fist, I saw a cross. Good Lord, she was Christian. A moment later, from the same building, a fiery-eyed Turk, maybe her husband, charged me with a scream. I stood paralyzed. An image of my own death rose in my mind. All I could think to utter was, it, it was not me. But just as the man's spear was inches from my throat, his rush was interrupted by Robert, thrusting his knife into the Turk's chest. The man staggered, his eyes horrifically wide. Then he toppled onto his wife, dead. I blinked in amazement. I turned to Robert with a sigh of relief. See, it's not just God who watches over you, he winked. It's me. He had just uttered those words when another turban warrior charged towards him, brandishing a long blade. The boy's back was turned, and I saw I could not get there in time. He was tugging on his knife, but it remained stuck in the dead Turk's chest. His face still lit with that innocent grin. Robert! I screamed. Robert! 916-633-1537 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter Ratchet Book Club on Facebook Leave review on Spotify Takes like 8 seconds Leave review on um, Podchaser Copy and paste that into the Good Pods app And copy and paste that into the Apple uh, Podcast app you can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. 
you can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name, did you say?